Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. guest is Fran Dorf, and our first topic is Right to Heal. Fran Dorf is the author of the novels A Reasonable Madness and Saving Elijah, part ghost story, part family drama, and part thriller. Saving Elijah was inspired by the loss of Fran's son, Michael. Fran holds a master's degree in psychology and conducts Right to Heal workshops to help people cope with grief, trauma, and loss. Welcome to the show, Fran. Hi. Hi, it's great Thanks to have you on the show today, friend. We we were ta- Hattie and I were talking about um, the uh, information that you've sent us, and and I've read your book, Saving Elijah, Elijah, which is a great book, and I it's a wonderful read, and we'll talk a little more about that. But Hattie, you were saying that uh, Fran has had so many things happen that I think everyone on she, the show is going to be able to, uh, all of our listeners are going to be able to relate in some absolutely. level. Absolutely, she has had Fran has had so many losses and life transitions. I mean, from infertility to cancer to death of a child, to adoption. I mean, there's just been a lot of things. And as I read her background, I was like, wow, I can resonate with some of this. I can, you know, the infertility and the adoption, there were pieces of her life that really spoke to me. And there were other things that I hadn't been through, but I think that because she's been through so much, many, many listeners will be able to identify with Fran. Absolutely. Well, Fran, could you tell us a little bit about uh, Michael? I think that would be a good place to start. Um. Well, my husband and I, um, when we first got married, he he got very sick almost right away. And somehow he, he had cancer and he survived. And he... What we, type of cancer did he have? Testicular cancer. Uh-huh. And he survived. He's actually one of the oldest living, um, I think the second oldest living survivor of his, of his doctor. Wow. So, you know, all these 30 years later. Right. Um, we had a child during that time, and then we were unable to conceive again, and so we went through the infertility thing, mm-hmm. and that was very, very traumatic um, mm-hmm. for me. Um, I think for him too. That was just kind of at the beginning of all the stuff that they're doing now, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, shots and all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so we tried that, and that didn't work. And then finally, we decided we would adopt. Um, and our daughter was nine when we adopted. He adopted a, a child named uh, we named Michael, and he he was born prematurely. But we had contracted with a birth mother, and we decided that we would go ahead with the adoption. I, I wondered how that was, you know, when you heard she was going to the hospital and things. I mean, that's your baby. Yeah, it was it was it was very traumatic, you know, and we were worried that he might have some problems. But it, you know, in the end. It just seemed morally inexcusable, you know, to leave him there because he might have some problems. So we decided we would go for this. Mm-hmm. And believe me, you know, it was not necessarily the, the, you know, the thing that all of our family was behind because, you know, you're walking into something that's very difficult. But how, we, how big was he when you got him out? Um, he was four pounds. Wow. Well. And he was so in the he, hospital for a while. You did you go see him all the time and take care of him? Well, we went down to um, where he was um, in the hospital with the with the um, you know the birth mother, and I and I actually met her, and um, she you know she 
I don't know, she she gave him to us. I felt like I was entrusted with him and you know, I just I adored the child. He was he was um we adored the child, I should say. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, my daughter, we we just really really loved him. He was and he had a lot of problems, you know, from the beginning. And um, you know, I took him to you know, I became involved with the special needs community at that point. What kind of problems did he have? Um, he had neurological issues. Did he have eye pro- eyesight and that kind of um, thing? He had, uh, his eyes were crossed. He had um, sensory development issues. He, you know, he wasn't diagnosed with autism, but he had many autistic kind of behaviors. And yet he was very, very loving. Um, you know, he just had a lot of, he, he, there were certain things he wouldn't touch. He was a very unusual, shall I say, kid, but very, very loving. And and I, what did he look like? I mean, from reading your book, I, I wondered what he looked like. Um, well, I think I described the child, you know, in the book, who was of a different age than Michael. Right. Um, and again, I, I want to point out that it is a novel, so you know, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily assume that it's the same. But Michael was actually an, an angelic-looking child. Yeah, I got that. He was your child in the book. Yeah. He was he was really really an, angelic. I mean, he had blonde curly hair uh-huh. and big blue eyes. He just was a real beautiful child. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then one day, you know, he, I was out in the, um, I was working on a, a book. I, I had a, a two book deal with Dutton for, I was a, I was always a, you know, a novelist. And, um, I had the intercom on and I didn't hear anything. And I went in and I found him having a seizure. Now I fictionalized that in the book, um, in that particular case without changing too much. And then, you know, we, as I say in the little, the essay I sent to you, you know, we, we, we arrived with our baggage in hell. You know, it was, mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, he, he lived for another six months, um, in a state that I, I really don't even want to describe, but, mm-hmm. um. He was in the hospital or was Yes, home? yes. Okay. Yes. So that's rough for our audience I out was, there that know having a kid in the hospital and, you know, in a not great state. It, yeah, Very it was, tough. it was, the only way to describe it is hell, you know. I mean, and we became. Well, you lost you lost Michael before you lost him. Yeah, yeah, that's right, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, and you know, I just really have to say, and I want to say to your listeners that um, I really, I mean, I basically took to my bed for two years. I just, mm-hmm. I could not pull myself together. I, I thought I was going insane. And I, I think that, about walking around in your bathrobe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I you know I say in the in the uh, in the, the essay I sent to you uh, that I I um I I was so out of it that I really I had a, this two book deal and I had mm-hmm. I had I thought I could finish the book and like I whipped out the rest of the book in three weeks. You know, I mean, a novel takes a couple years to write. You know, and it was a terrible novel, and I lost. My, and you know, and I thought like grief makes you insane. I I couldn't even. I mean, how could I begin to think that I could go through something like that and just carry on? You know, but you and did. Then, you become almost overly competent, right? You know, work or whatever to show people that you can do it. That I can do it. That's right. But I couldn't do it, and I just you know fell apart, and I just. You know, I think I say in, in the essay that you know it's like my husband and daughter were like floaters. You know, in my in my vision, yeah. I was just sort of wandering around like a zombie for a couple of years. And people would say to me, they would say, you know, ther- like I eventually I went to a therapist and a grief support group and all that, 
And people would say to me, particularly professionals in this field, would say, you know, why don't you try, you know, writing? Now, to me, writing was like normal, you know, because that was my, and and I resisted any advice, you know. I mean, I would, you know, it's like I say, how could you presume this was a big thing with me because I was so I was so full of anger and, and guilt. Well, it's kind of like saying go back right back to work too because that was your your thing. Right, that was my thing, and I said no, I'm not. You know, my life is not normal. I can't. I'm not going to write, and I resisted, and I resisted, and I resisted, and then finally one day, maybe three years into it, I went to this to the market, and I picked up one of those composition books. Mm-hmm. And I started to write, you know, and didn't whatever. You kind of hide it? Didn't you kind of hide it so people? Yeah, I'm hiding it, doing? right? Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I felt I felt like it was a betrayal to my son. All right. Now you're actually doing writing workshops, and we have a guest on the show, and uh, Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. How are you? How, Great. how are you, Fran? There. Yeah, she's yes, right here. Hi, Hi. Sylvia. I'm going to have Fran. I mean, uh, yeah, Fran, say a little bit about who you are, Sylvia, because we really haven't brought up the workshop yet. Oh so. well, then I can just sit back and I'll wait on. Okay. <laughs> so, so Fran, can you say a little bit about um, that? Well, Sylvia is the wonderful leader of the local um, com- chapter of Compassionate Friends, um, with whom I've done a number of these workshops that I do to try and help people find and integrate this these traumatic experiences. Um, so I think Sylvia called just to talk a little bit about the workshop. Yeah, Sylvia, tell us about those workshops. They yeah. sound wonderful. Yeah, well, we've been very blessed to have Fran come several times to our group over the last couple of years, actually, or even before, um, and come to the group and really speak help our, especially this past month, we've had very, very, very newly bereaved come to our group, um, quite a few, and um, it's very difficult, as we all know, to um, share feelings and, and verbalize, especially when you're first in the early stages, and what better way than to um, be able to express yourself on a piece of paper where, you know, it. You can really open up. Um, Fran has such a talent for bringing out, um, she uses wonderful tools and props for for really helping people to connect with their feelings. Um, Oh, great. Now, are you writing after hearing Fran? Oh, um, yes, but more so the workshop was very helpful in just getting people to um, get in touch with their feelings and be able to put them down on paper, and it and I've gotten so much feedback, and that's what I wanted to share. We've gotten a lot of feedback from people and how much it was, it was helped them so much and how helpful it was, yes. um, and, and we're really, you know, I think it's a great way for people to, I hope she keeps coming back and um, doing this because it's just a wonderful tool for people well, to use. I, think, I would think that the hardest part about this is getting started. How do you get started? What do you? I mean, you yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's tell uh, Sylvia. Thank you so much for calling. Oh, you're in. very I mean, welcome. I'm, now I am. You have piqued my appetite to the okay. most to find out what it is okay. she's doing here. Thank and, you so much and for thank calling. Thank you in. for having me on, and thank you, Fran, for the work you do. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay, Fran, what is it you're doing that well, sounds um, wonderful? Basically, over the last seven years, I mean, I wrote a novel called Saving Elijah, which is 
basically what it helped me do was to figure out what happened to me and what happens to people in grief. You know, the Let's, let's tell people how they can get this book. You can go on our website, The Grief Blog. It's there. You've got a website. Give them your website. It's um, www.frandorf.com. I call myself the Bruised Muse. <laughs> the Bruised that. Muse. And you, can, <laughs> and you can also go on The Grief Blog uh, on the uh, Open to Hope Foundation and Friends, one of our um, writers, so you'll be able to find her on and the Amazon. So and Amazon, they, yes. Yeah, on Amazon. And, I hope and this book this book is a fabulous book, Saving oh, Elijah. Thank you. And, and you also had, the, you know, it was supposed to be cover. a movie and all sorts of things, right? Yeah, all sorts of things. Um, it's been, you know, quite a journey. I mean, the, the book itself, the writing of the book was incredibly cathartic once I got going. I mean, basically it's an extended metaphor for grief. It personifies... It, it, it posits a the woman who's keeping visual over, vigil over her son hears um, a song and she goes out into the hall and she sees a ghost who basically asks her all these questions that bereaved mothers ask themselves, like, where did I go wrong? Why is this happening to me? All those things that your, your listeners are hearing in their heads that are contributing to the to the really insane-making, you know, kind of feeling that they have. And so he poses all those questions. And that yeah, he, he really uh, digs away at her in a lot of ways. <laughs> and he digs her. at her. And that's what grief does. That's what it does. The way that's, and that's, the, writing the book helped me to understand that. And so in the seven years since the publication of Saving Elijah, basically what I've been doing is I've been collecting and creating a series of exercises constantly evolving that um, help us to find out what our feelings are, find out what is happening to us, find out what we each have an important story to tell. Um, so give us one exercise. Well, I might, one exercise that I specifically did with the um, the group in, in, you know, here locally is called the archaeological dig exercise. And what that is, is I ask, first of all, I tell people, you have to banish the sensor. You can't, you can't be worrying about, you know, whether this sounds good or, or the punctuation. Now, that's really important. And I tell them to write a series of sentences, beginning with the words, I remember. Mm. Now, it could be anything. It could be anything about your, because everybody's different. Some people don't want to attack this directly or can attack it, or might be able to attack it in a month, but right now, maybe not. So they write a series of, of, of sentences I remember. So, for example, for me, it might come up, I remember the time my neighbor fell out of the tree and broke his finger, or, you know, and then a series of that. You know, and sometimes, you know, things about the lost child or the lost, you know, whoever it is come in, and sometimes not. Then I might ask them to dig into one of those things and tell tell more about it and write like a whole scene about it. And then I might ask them to take that scene that they've just written and instead of telling it in the in the first person, tell it in the third person. In other words, replace themselves with another character, you know, as if it's a story rather than telling something. And that helps a person to gain some sort of perspective. And if they got your book, they could see how you did it. Right. That's with exactly this, with the ghost. That's exactly right. What a, a wonderful idea. Are you writing down these steps? Do you have them anywhere that uh, our audience can get them? 
What do you mean the steps? You mean the, the, the exercises? Yeah, the exercises. Yes. Um, you know, I haven't actually done that, but I might. I have a section on my website called um, Right to Heal, and I'm just starting to build that up, you know. And so maybe it might be a good idea. That's actually an excellent idea that I'll, you know, list some of these exercises so that if somebody, you know, comes to the site or, or maybe I'll – Put it on your site. Love it. Um, a list of exercises that you can do in your room. I and one thing they can actually go on both sites. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one thing you know, journaling is is wonderful. I mean, if you if you if you can, but these exercises accomplish you know a different thing. You know, they they I mean they're fictional techniques that help us in certain ways that just journaling. Doesn't. Not that I'm saying journaling is not a good thing. It's but if you're not thing. a journaler, here this gives you some structure. Right. Because I'm not actually a journaler. In fact, someone handed me a journal at the Last Compassionate Friends Conference. They had gone somewhere and gotten a lovely journal and said, here, would you like this journal? And I took it and then I thought, wow, I don't really journal. And I saw a man there and I handed it to him. And I just got a letter from his wife saying that she is journaling again and thanking me. And I put something in it about his wife in the front of it. You know, I hope she enjoys this journal uh, from Dr. Gloria. And I got a, a letter from her saying that she's journaling again and how thrilling it was to get yeah. this and she has not been able to journal. Well, journaling can be very, very helpful. I mean, um, but this is a little bit different than journaling. Because but one thing I want to say to Fran, is that you did not even go back to writing for three years. Not at all. I want to say to people, they may not be ready, and they may not want to, or they may. Or they may. That's right. I mean, you know, as Sylvia said, you know, we had a very big, like in the last one I did, a very big group. I think there were 30, more than 30. I mean, it was just a huge group. Mm-hmm. A little daunting for me. But, uh, but you know, I went in, and there were a couple people there who really, I felt, couldn't do it. And that's okay. You know, they... It's scary. It's they they want to think about the good stuff. They don't want to do this. You know, everybody's different. And what, and then you know, they could get those tools and hear that information, and then maybe later on, right? And maybe later on, exactly. Or right. maybe they'll I mean, just do one of your exercises, and they won't think about it as writing, really. As writing. Well, that's right. I mean, I just I think it's important that people who are, especially people who are newly bereaved, you know, understand that. You're, the emotions are is not you want to get control again, but you know you feel completely out of control mm-hmm. and this you know it's a it's a very long and arduous journey to get some sort of control again and and reinvest in and figure out what how you're going to be in this world without your lost person mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah, and, exactly. you know, and there are many different ways to do that you know many many different ways to do that. And I think writing can be a really important way to, to you know, move yourself along when you're ready. Or right. and, it's, and at some point, at some point, I think you said when you were ready, years out, you decide you had to make a choice and reinvest in life again. That's right. I I actually do think that um, at some point, the bereaved mother or father or you know whoever. Does have to make a choice because you can easily be bereaved forever. I mean, you really can. You know, and and I I do want to say. I mean, one of my exercises is that I I hate that word closure. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't feel it's anything close to reality. I find it 
actually offensive, and I ask people to write about why, you know, what they think about that word, closure. Right. Well, one of our board members, Bob Niemeyer, says closure is for bank accounts, not love accounts. Exactly. And, and you that, know what? We're going to need to close the show on that thought. Oh. And okay. thank you so much, friend Dorf, for being on the show. It's been thank wonderful. You. And I hope people will go to your website and and uh, read about you on the Foundation website. And thank you so much for being on. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.